0: been written since the beginning of time even unto these ancient stones that evil supernatural creatures exist in a world of darkness
1: And am david steel with me today are tom harris say hello tom hello folks and it's our kenny smith say hello kenny
2: greetings fellow humans Call it off,
1: Castle. Stop this thing you've started and I'll admit publicly that I was totally wrong and that you were totally right. Well, it's very gratifying to hear that, but some things are more easily started than stopped. Your time allowed is just three days from now. It is the night of the demon.
0: It's in the trees! It's coming! The demon! It's coming! No!
1: Hello, welcome back to The Power of Three. And this episode, of course, is an episode of the Doctor Who family tree. Where we look at another film, or book, or TV series, or something that involves someone who worked on Doctor Who. Um, I'm going to ask Mr. Tom Harris to tell us about his choice, or well, to tell us what his choice for this episode is. Tom, what's your choice for this episode?
0: Hello, Davy. Um, Hello, Tom. This is my all-time favourite movie of all time ever. So I don't want to overstate it, but it is awesome. And if you don't like it, then you're stupid. This is The Night of the Demon, a 1957 movie and just the best, the best horror, best British horror movie of all time. And as I say, my, my personal favourite movie. And I, I, forgive me if I've bored listeners with this story before, but when I was a kid, I used to be utterly obsessed by horror movies. And there was a series of late night, Friday night horror movies shown on STV. Um, called don't watch alone and that was the that was the name of the series of movies and they would show these old horror movies uh, late at night. I was far too young to watch any of them but my mother wanted to watch them and none of the other family wanted to watch them so she therefore let me stay up late with her because she was too scared to watch them on her own so she'd rather have a 10 year old boy sitting on the sofa watching it with falling asleep half of the time but as long as she had company that was fine so very irresponsible parenting but during this period this film came on night of the demon and even if you don't appreciate films at the time when you're very young, I think if a movie sticks in your memory, if you if you can't stop thinking about certain set pieces in a movie, even if you don't remember the whole thing, then that's a movie that is important to you, and that is that has something going for it because you you know thirty years later, I I still remembered bits of this film, but I'd never. You know, in, in pre-internet days, it was quite difficult to get a hold of movies that were, you know, not always, you know, not particularly frequently shown in television. And one day, Carl and I, funnily enough, we were on HMV in, in uh, Argyle Street, in 1996 it was, and I came across this VHS of a movie called Curse of the Demon. And it was clearly the demon that I remembered on the cover, but I was sure the film was called Night of the Demon. But anyway, I bought it, because of course I would. And I showed it to Carolyn, and she just thought it was fantastic. And of course, later on, I found out that it was uh, the American version of Night of the Demon, which is slightly shorter than the one that we had in Britain. And, and I watched it again for the first time in many, many, many years. And it was just as good as I remembered it. It it just, it it held up really well because, you know, and now that, you know, ever since then, Carl and I have sat down every October, late October towards Halloween, which is when the the movie is set. And we've watched it every year since. And so it's probably the movie I've seen more often than any other movie. And it never, I never get tired of watching it. It, it. There's always something every year, there's always something new that I notice about you yeah, the cinematography, or the acting, or the script, um, or, or even some of its weaknesses, which it does have, but it is it just it's the gift that keeps on giving. I I love it to bits, and I would recommend. Most people listening to this will have watched it, of course. It's it's not an you know especially in certain fan circles, it's well known. But if there's anyone out there who hasn't watched it, you know go and treat yourself because it is wonderful. So um Kenny.
1: Tells when did you first see Night of the Demon?
2: I genuinely think I didn't I didn't see this until for the first time until probably about maybe ten years ago. And it was on it must have been on one of one of the TV channels late night. And I just thought, oh, I'm gonna watch that one because I knew that was one that it had the, the Hounds of Love clip from. That it's in the trees, it's coming. And that's pretty much all that I knew about the film. Right. So I thought, well, watch that and just see whereabouts this actual cut this actually comes from, and then I'll we'll switch it off. But I kept watching it and watching it. And that was me hooked all the way to the end. What about you, Dave? When did you first see it? Well, I first saw it.
1: um, I I used to have a flatmate who was very, very well read. Really into his films and his books and all that. And he put me on to M.R. James, who wrote the short story, casting the runes that the the film was based on. And it was Ross who had the movie and we we watched it. And so I think it must have been about 2003, because it was around about 2003 that I started reading the short stories. Um, and you know, pretty much binged on on Mr. James for 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 a few months. Whilst I, you know, I read through this short story collection. So, Tom, this is the Doctor Who family tree. What connects Night of the Demon to to Doctor Who?
0: There may be more than one connection. I can only find one, and I was delighted that I did find one because it gives me an excuse to talk about it in this podcast. But mm. Morris Denham is in it as Professor Henry Harrington. He's only in it for the opening sequence. He he, he quickly snuffs it. Um, in a very iconic uh,
1: yeah.
0: set, set piece. Um, but he was, of course, in Twin Dilemma. Uh, I, I don't know if he was in any other uh, Doctor Who stories. You guys would probably know better than I do.
2: He did the Paradise of Death radio series.
0: Ah, right. Okay. Where he played the president. All right. So I don't know if there. I mean, there may well be, you know, runners and grips and camera assistants and stuff who did some work in Doctor Who after this, but I, I'm not aware of them.
1: Yeah, there was there was no one else in the cast that, that leapt out to me as, as um as being, you know, familiar from Doctor Who, but that doesn't matter as long no, no, as we've got one. All. To connect, all we uh, need that, so we need to talk
0: about it. I mean, we've got the Morris Denham connection. We also have the fact that many prominent. Doctor Who fans like Mark Gatiss are huge fans of Mr. James, you know, Mark Gatiss has, has adapted a few of the short stories for mm. television. I wish he would consider writing an original story, uh, a prequel to Night of the Demon, because the last time I was watching this, it did occur to me, there's a huge backstory here. About the cult, the 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 Carswell cult, and about how we, you know, about Rand Hobart and what happened to him, and I think it would be wonderful to get a prequel called, of course, Day of the Demon, Um, (laughs) Dawn of the Demon, Dawn of the Demon. (laughs) Um, But of course, you couldn't have the cast because, and we'll come back to talk about the cast. But the, the the cast are just stupendous uh and we'll we'll come and talk about that but yeah yeah the 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 mr james story in which this is based is has been adapted many times over the years and and you know this isn't the best adaptation of that short story there are other more accurate uh creepier versions but this is the one that's probably the most famous one um and it is only an adaptation it takes a lot of uh you know departures from the main story but I think to the, to the film's credit.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really just uses the, the bare bones and a few of the names and stuff, doesn't it? Have either of you seen the version that um, Ian Cuthbertson was in? Yeah. That's in the
0: so, 70s, yeah. quite I, recently. And, and, and yeah. it, it's quite a shocking ending, actually. And, and I, I think a not a very well thought out ending. You know, in the book, Carswell is killed by a falling piece of masonry from a church, I think, in France. And it's quite a pedestrian ending. Uh, and, and well-deserved, in the Ian Cuthbertson version, I think it's Jan Francis is the, that's right. yeah. the main protagonist. You know, she passes the runes back to him at the end, and he gets on an airliner, and the whole plane goes down. And I thought, yeah, that's just bad storytelling, actually. That's not just grim and morbid and gothic. That's just bad storytelling. You know, they, they could easily have made, had a report at the end that... A passenger plane was forced to turn around because one of the passengers burst into flames or had a heart attack or something. They didn't have to kill hundreds of people. Uh, It it didn't make the protagonist out to be a good person at all. It made her far worse, actually, than Mm -hmm. the Cuthbertson character because he wasn't Mm -hmm. responsible for hundreds of deaths. He was only responsible for for a few.
1: So um, have either of you read much of the the original short stories by Montague Rhodes James?
0: I have. I'm a big fan.
1: Nope. Nope, you haven't. Gasp. (gasps) Well, you really should, because they're excellent, but you'd really like them.
2: I've read, never read any MR James.
1: Yeah, I, see, I a, a phase, running at the same time, I, I, sound, I sound horrendous, I'm aware how I sound here, running at the same time as reading Saki and John Wyndham for the first time, a nice little burst of of um, literary adventure in my early 30s, you know, it was great. Right, so Tom, do you want to tell us a little bit then about how the, the plot for the film develops?
0: The the, the plot of the movie is, is, is pretty much, it follows the bare bones of the story. Um, the, there is a conflict between the the the, the villain Carswell, and uh, in the in the short story, it's about I think it's a bad review of his book that he takes umbrage about and sets a a, a curse on the person who wrote the review, and the curse involves in both the film and the and the short story uh, the casting of runes, ancient runes, on a parchment which is past willingly from one person to the other. And if you've been given the runes, you either hand them back to the person that that gave them to you, or you suffer a a fate worse than death. Now, this is where the controversy uh, surrounding the film comes in because uh, nobody's really got to the bottom of this, but at the very beginning of the movie, all suspense is removed you're supposed to go through the movie thinking is this curse real or is it not does the demon exist or is it just a figment of imagination is it auto suggestion and five minutes into the film literally five minutes you find out that it is a demon it's a demon from hell and it's going to kill you there's no suspense well there shouldn't be any suspense but the genius of the director is that the suspense is still there even though you know what's coming um So the the controversy is that Jacques Tourneau, the director claimed afterwards that he did not agree to the insertion of this big rubber monster into the film at the beginning and the end. Um, And that this was the, the, the work of Hal Chester, the producer, who was far more, you know, publicity minded and knew what audiences wanted and that, that he inserted this big rubber monster into the film after turneau left Britain and returned to America after making the movie. Now, that is pr- almost certainly not true. I mean, t- there's evidence that Turneau did cooperate in this um, and maybe just afterwards he had buyer's remorse. Um, right. So so, so over over the years, fans have kind of split up into two camps. Those that think that the demon shouldn't have been revealed, or at least not that early, and, and, and increased the tension, because you didn't know if it was there or not. And those who think that it's perfect as it is. And I, I kind of come down on both sides of the fence, actually. I think you, right. there's an argument for saying that you could have filmed this, the death scene of, of Morris Denham uh, without explicitly showing you the demon, and hinting that it was just an accident, um, and then at the very, very end, revealing the demon as it as yeah. it is in the film in the train station. Yeah. Um, but 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 that aside, even those people who think it was a mistake to show the demon so early, and of course the special effects are of their time, nineteen fifty seven. But very really good though. But it's oh, yeah. something hor- truly, genuinely horrific when you first see the demon and you hear the, the sound effects contribute to it. And then the, the sparks in the sky, as you see something coming towards Morris Denham. Those are the images that stuck with me for years well beyond my childhood. It is just creepy as hell and um, just fascinating. Yeah. Kenny, tell us,
1: tell us, what do you think of the demon and the level of special effects in this one? Because you, you were a bit dismissive of the, the special effects when we did Land at Time Forgot. What's your thoughts on how the demon was achieved in this movie?
2: I really liked it. I thought it was, it's a very striking design. It's unique and it, you definitely, it's one that you, if you saw it again, you know, you know months later, say, oh yeah, there's that, you know, the creature from Night from the Demon. I think it looked great. I was really impressed by it. Contextually, I think it actually looked better than some of the things in The Land at Time Forgot.
0: Um
2: <laughs> But I, for me, it did the biz. Particularly, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great design, very memorable, and actually quite creepy. Some mm-hmm. bits of it.
1: Gentlemen, if if there was someone that had, um, someone in life who you, you would um, send the demon after, who would you pick? I'll <laughs> oh, Ask Kenny first for this one.
2: And in terms of celebrity people, probably Gemma Collins.
1: Oh really interesting so any, just... any famous people you'd send yeah. even after
0: um i could think of one or two that i will not name <laughs> I, I like to yes. think Being I'm, a bit I, I, I'm like to think that I, uh, having reached my mid 50s um i'm pretty relaxed uh and moderate enough not to set demons on people and kill them i think that i'm quite happy not to do that so i wouldn't i wouldn't there's nobody on the war on the planet on the face of this planet that i hate enough to send a demon on
1: that's interesting I've, I've probably still got a few years to go then before i reach that level of peace with myself so um kenny you know you and i are obviously as, as passionate about this film as tom but let, let's find some stuff to talk about were there any of the performances in the movie that stuck out for you particularly Kenny? Who did you and whose, whose character did you like the most? And who did you enjoy watching the most in the film?
2: really enjoyed um, Niall McGuinness as Julian Carswell, the villain of the piece. I think he's great. He's got that sort of... In fact, the whole thing's got almost like... You could feel like it's definitely been a big influence on the demons, if you want to go for the Doctor Who link, as he's got sort of like quite a masterly type presence, or masterful if you prefer. Hmm. um he's you can tell he's very much you know, he likes to think that he's in control he's you know into hypnotism mesmerism he's a manipulator and is very much at the cause of all of this and i think he's really good um joanna Harrington, uh, played by peggy cummins she's really good uh, makes a, a good impression she's not a shrinking violet as you might often expect from films of this period so she's actually got quite a a strong character. I mm. really enjoyed her performance. They were the main ones at Stuart. But also the other thing I liked was seeing Stonehenge as my in-laws live about um, five minutes drive from there. So it was really nice to see Stonehenge as it was back in the 50s before it was all sealed off and you're not allowed to get up close yeah. and personal with it these days. But I, and it's beautifully shot. It's I mean, The film print that I watched it from the other night was beautiful. It was so clean so clear, just really atmospheric. It helped sell the film to you. I mean, some bits feel like it could have been shot the other day. Mm. Beautifully done. Yeah.
1: The DVD copy that I've got, um, the first time I bought it, it wouldn't play in any of the DVD players in the house, which is really strange, but it now plays in the it now works on the Blu-ray player in the kitchen. So I'm not sure what's quite going on with that. And it is a DVD. Before you ask Tom, I haven't I wasn't trying to play a Blu-ray in any of my other machines. Um, I was really struck with Carswell as well, because he's almost sympathetic or sympathetics may be the wrong words, but you almost find yourself sort of, um, almost rooting for him because I thought the main, the main guy came across as a little bit cocky, you know, for a hero. And I kind of thought, mm, I'm, you know, I'm not entirely sure. I, I want you to kind of, you know, <laughs> to come out of this. Okay. Um, I enjoyed the scene at the start all the, the business on the airport, on, not, not the airport, sorry, on the airplane. And I enjoyed the sort of mix, occasional sort of, um, of back projection and, and real sets at times. The thing that I, the scene that I really liked was the, um, the scene with the children's party, because that made Carswell almost sort of sympathetic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. no, the,
0: the the genius, I think, in the writing and the direction is is the, the way the two main characters, Carswell and uh, John um, Holden, Holden, Professor Holden, uh, played by Dana Andrews, uh, the, the way their character's develop, I mean, he, uh, N- Niall McGuinness just steals the whole show in every scene he's in, he is just fantastic. And right at the very, in his very first scene, when when Harrington goes to ask him to call the demon off, uh, you already you see in his demeanor he's not just a he's not a black and white villain. He's someone with with shades of grey because right away he looks a bit scared. He looks at the clock and he sees there not much time left. He asks. For the parchment back, and Harrington tells them that the parchment's been lost. And you and the way he reacts to that, he's genuinely scared that he'll be in the same room as mm. Harrington when the when the hour arrives and he has to usher him out of the house. He is just brilliant. I mean, the, the relationship he's got with his mother, um, when he explains to her that there is a there is a price to be paid for all of the wealth and power he's accumulated um and then the scene at the end in the in the carriage when he's finally confronted by holden and he's yes. terrified utterly hot you can just the, the acting is superb and he's terrified that holden will pass the runes back to him and of course we, we know we know what happens and i've seen that film you know dozens and dozens of times but every time i see that scene I get tense. I know what's going to happen. You know, there's not going to be a surprise. But it just shows you how well written and well directed, yes. well acted it is that you still
2: feel that tension. I particularly like when when the party's going on and there's the there's the strong winds outside and that looks fantastic. Even now you think how strong were those blowers that they would have had to get all those wind effects. And again, it's, that sort of feels like the demons in a way with the heat barrier. That's yeah. something sort of you know just. It, that just reminded me of it. You can, yeah, this has been a huge influence in the demons, which obviously we'll get to talk about quite soon yeah. in the when the season right. eight Blu-ray comes out. It's, it's just so atmospheric throughout. It feels, I mean, you can feel almost like you, it's it's closing in around you. You know, just you know that the demons going to come again. You just don't know where. You don't know when. And it's just so wonderfully done. I think I mean, from the start, Morris Denham is very, very good, even though he's got such a small part. And he's giving, just giving it all. And he just, his voice doesn't change at all, which is quite mm. incredible when you consider, you know, 30 years later, we got him in Twin Dilemma and it's very, very distinctive. Just that, and it's such a good performance. I, I loved it. Yeah. I really, really loved it. It's in, in head- head-
0: oh, very subtle. In the very opening scene, which is Harrington driving to Lufford Hall where Carswell is, and he's driving along a, a dark, spooky English road and the headlamps, pick up the hedgerows on each side and I think maybe it's only this only happens once you've seen it a couple of times but when you see that point of view shot from him as he's driving you're kind of looking up into the sky to see if there's something coming down out of the sky towards you it's that sort of expectation and tension that is just Beautifully done. Can I just say something about a couple of the other actors? I mean, Dana, Dana Andrews and, and Peggy Cummings were, were very, very good friends. Um, and they, they, they had a really close relationship off off screen. But And Peggy Cummings is wonderful. Dana Andrews spent most of the production drunk, apparently, uh, oh, when he right. Apparently when he, when he came off the plane from America to, to film uh, this one story, as he fell down the stairs, he was so sozzled when he, when he arrived, by the time he arrived in, in Britain. And when you know that you listen to some of his lines and you think, was he slurring that there's a couple of scenes like when he's saying good night to Joanna after they've come back from Lufford hall and she's dropped him off outside his hotel. And he, he does, he's making a pass at her, but he sounds kind of clumsy and a bit, a bit slurred who knows. Um, but, Here's another kind of warning to uber sensitive millennials who might feel encouraged to watch this. There's a character called Kumar who's who's Indian.
1: That's right.
0: Yes. He, he is played yes. by an English actor called Peter Elliot <laughs> who's blacked <laughs> right. up for the yeah. part and putting yeah. on a funny yeah. Indian accent, uh, yeah, which of, of course, course wouldn't happen. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but what what if I what is really funny about that whole scene but when when Holden finds himself among his fellow academics who are meeting for this conference on on the occult, essentially to disprove it all, and that's why Carswell's taken up against him. Um, you know, you think Holden is going to be one of many skeptics in in this, this gathering. It turns out he is the only skeptic, every single other academic there to attend the conference, uh O'Brien and Kumar and others, they all believe in the devil, they all believe in demons. And and it's it's I don't think that was intentional actually, because you are expecting everyone to be you have the same cynicism towards these stories. But turns out uh Dean Andrews is the only one and in in the brilliance of his character development, you know, he starts off really cynical, really disbelieving, and by the end of it, he's a fully paid up member. He he absolutely believes this yeah. is good happen to him and it's just it's so well done. It's so persuasive. Yeah. It's so yeah. credible.
1: And you mentioned earlier on that the sequence at the end of the film when um when he passes the, the runes back to him on the on the train. I mean I, I thought that that whole final sequence was was phenomenal because the 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 absolute fear that Carswell projects because he knows you know he's, he doesn't want to take the newspaper, doesn't want to take his jacket, but then you know, he's got him and that horrible scene when the, the demon catches up with him and then everyone thinks that he's been he was just struck by the train so you know even there there was still that level of skepticism from people that it actually really could have happened
0: yeah um, absolutely
1: it's interesting I'm, I'm, i want to kind of think about what kenny was saying about it the influence on on the the doctor who story the demons i mean i think mr james as a whole maybe if you were to shuffle him up with some nigel neal you'd probably you'd have a really really good template for for doctor who i think it's one thing that, that um that i found that i read the short stories was just how unsettling they were and they reminded me, of the feeling that I used to get watching Doctor Who when I was very young because it's that sense of um, I think Doctor Who does so well of the juxtaposition of real life and the other and my early memories of Doctor Who are all about just that really cr- creepy unsettling sort of I don't like this I don't you know this makes me very uncomfortable and I think this is a really good story that you know one of MR James stories that really sort of shows that that you know MR James talked about it and called it a pleasing terror yeah. You know, this, this sense of um, you liked being scared and it really reminded me of, of Doctor Who in its essence, you know, as I experienced it when I was a kid. I mean, did either of you feel, you know, much of a, a similar sort of, or is that just me rabbiting?
2: I'd say there's a, there definitely is that sense of, that sense of dread, but I mean, it's very much, you can tell it's been an, inf- like, there's quite a lot of, the feel of it, if not the actual Euro storyline or anything, is very much influenced the, like, Pinchcliffe stories when you've got, Particularly season 14 when you've got the brain of Morbius, that sort of story and Seeds of Doom, and you've got that feeling there's like yeah. the horror movie feel to it.
0: Yeah, where yeah. you've
2: got horror doesn't actually need to be blatantly in your face horror, it's it's what's building up in the background and the whole situations that are leading towards them. It's the psychological element of what's scary, and it doesn't need to be in your face, rah, I'm a Frankenstein's monster. It's Absolutely. very much the psychology of it all which is something that they definitely introduced in the Hinchcliffe and Holmes era.
1: Definitely. I mean, a lot of people say that uh, a hammer horror influence over the, the Hinchcliffe and Holmes era, but I think from Kenny's articulated very well, I think it's, it's much more, I think it's deeper than that. You're right. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely.
0: I think we need to say something about the appearance of Brian Wilde in this, who, better known as Foggy Fodder- Uh, Foggy Dewhurst from uh, uh, Last of the Summer Wine. Uh, He plays a character called Rand Hobart, which is just the best name in British cinema history, I think. And there's there's a scene um, that was cut out for the American version, which is when Holden visits Hobart's home, and it's an old, you know, cottage filled with basically interbred devil worshippers who are very suspicious of him. Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, of course, that yes. that wasn't in the American version, and I think that's a great pity because it's a fantastic scene and it, it lends a lot of atmosphere and, and motivation to, to some of the characters. Uh, but Hobart himself is the subject of a very peculiar and disturbing scene towards the end where he's put under hypnosis to, to find, figure out what happened on the night of the demon. And it's a very, very long scene. Um, and I just can't imagine any filmmaker making that today. And it's a great pity because it is so powerful. The tension ramps up and it ends in a very disturbing, violent way. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, the, the, they gave it as much time as it needed to play out. And I think it worked incredibly well. One observation I, I make every time I see it, of course, is there's an audience of academics and doctors, not a single woman in the whole room. I mean, not one. <laughs> Too
1: scary for a woman Tom that's why well, maybe that's what it
0: is girls get too scared yeah. but it's, it's something it. you notice today but my goodness yeah. it's it's really like really you really
1: no it's interesting and obviously Brian Wilde if we want to extend that to the the last of the summer Wyden family tree that lets us tie back to Dr. Who via Peter Salas but it was it was very interesting I mean that's a good thing about watching old British movies of the 50s and 60s is that people of our age who grew up seeing a lot of actors in sitcoms or whatever you sometimes see them playing you know other parts, and it's 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 um it's a revelation because that's light years away from Foggy Dewhurst.
2: Well, okay. indeed. Talking of British sitcoms, we've got Charles Lloyd Pack as the chemist, who's of course the father of Roger.
1: Of course, of course, who appeared in one of the the two Doctor Who episodes that has my surname in the title. <laughs> See, it's all linked.
0: <laughs> uh, we've, we've also got a, a fantastic um, appearance. Um, by Reginald Beckwith, who's the medium, Mister Meek. Now that that, that oh, of course that, we should, we should that, really we should really talk about the seance,
1: shouldn't we? The that's where the, um, scene is that's just where the line from the the Kate yeah. Bush song came from.
0: The the, the, the seance scene is, is so weird and and very English, and quite disturbing and very humorous as well. Which I suppose is the definition of English Gothic. You know that it is funny and also disturbing.
2: Well, a kindly good evening to you, friends. Oh, good evening, Mr. McGregor. That's Mr. McGregor. He always comes through. He's a friend of ours. Funny weather we're having. It'll do a mickle to get to the floors and the barley. Oh, lovely weather, Mr. McGregor. But I sense we have strangers in our midst. Two strangers, but they're very sympathetic. Will you hear them into the circle? Oh, that's really a great honor. And Mr. McGregor's so particular who sits in the circle. Uh, here, over here, both of you. <sighs> mummy!
1: Oh, Mummy! Oh, Mummy! Oh,
2: somebody's poor, departed child. I wonder whose.
0: I
1: can't
2: find... I can't find Frederica. Oh, she's lost her dog.
0: Joanna. Joanna.
1: It's my uncle.
0: Don't be foolish. Are you there, Joanna? Yes. These things are all
2: fate. But it is my uncle. I know his voice. It's he who hurt Mr. Meek.
0: Got to... Got to tell Holden... He can't fight it. It's too strong. He means he must give up the investigation. This is crazy. Carswell has the key. He's translated the old book. The answer is there. Now, oh, look. It's in the trees. It's coming. The demon! It's coming! No! But yeah, when Reginald Beckwith was a, basically known as a comic actor, quite well known in the 50s, um, I think he was in a couple of healing comedies, but... And he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he's brought in, I guess, a slightly comic relief. Mm. But it is quite a disturbing scene. It's, it's, it's funny. Um, and it just enforces Holden's scepticism at the time. But there is something very odd about hearing that little girl's voice coming out of his mouth. And then you hear the Scots, you know, the Highlander with a very bad Scottish accent. It's just terrific. Just a great scene. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Definitely.
2: In summation, I think it's one of those films that you need to see at least once. You need to be able to watch it and you'll get an appreciation, because particularly if you like, especially the likes of Quatermass, uh, Quatermass and the Pit especially, there's a lot of similarities in the tone and feel to that because you've got the, the impending doom, which you know there's something coming, but you just don't know where and when and how.
0: Yeah.
2: And I thoroughly enjoyed it because of that. I think it, it's definitely one of those films that you must see before you die. But please don't die, listeners, because we'd like you to be around for a long time. <laughs> I,
1: I liked it, watched it for a very long time, and it's a similar thing to to one of the reasons why I gave for enjoying Land of Time Forgot. As so much, as a Burroughs fan, I'm glad the movie exists. As an ml James fan, it's if that's the right term to use, an enthusiast, um, someone who loves the stories, it's great to be able to watch, you know, watch it being brought to life in this way. It's 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 terrific. And it's, it's as I said it um in our in a sort of warm-up chat, you know, I watched a few more MR James adaptations last night. It's kind of to keep me in the mood. Um and I'm feeling I might read some more of the stories again. So um Tom, how would you how would you wind us up then, Tom?
0: What I would say is um I would recommend anyone uh obviously watch if they haven't already and if they have seen it, you know, watch it again because there's there's always something new to watch. I uh, was fascinated by a book by a guy called Tony Earnshaw, who's a film critic, and he wrote a book called uh, *Beating the Devil*, which is the making of *Night of the Demon*. And Earnshaw also provides the commentary on a new, a newish, double-disc version that's been released by Indicator, uh, which you can right. buy on Blu-ray uh, from all good, all good stores. Um, and it's got various versions of the movie on. It's got the American version, it's got the British version. It's got lots of brilliant um, special features, uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing. But Carl and I watched the the version, well, we watched two versions last year, actually, we watched the film just as it is. And then the next night we watched the version with uh, Tony Earnshaw giving his commentary. And uh, and it is brilliant and it was fascinating. And he, and he dedicated to the memory of Peggy Cummings at the end, which is lovely. Oh, that's and um, it's 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 worth it if you if you're into directors commentaries. There's so much that I, having seen it dozens and dozens of times, hadn't twigged a lot of what he was pointing out, and it was it was fascinating. My one well, one of my ambitions is actually to visit the this, this, the set of of Lufford Hall, um, where the, where they filmed Carswell's house. It's actually Brocket Hall in Hertfordshire, uh, but that's when when lockdown is over. Hopefully, I'll be able to make a family trip there.
1: Yeah, we could all go on a Power of Three road trip.
0: Oh, God, that sounds horrible.
1: <laughs> and and record, record everything we say and release an edited greatest hits package of the entire trip. That'd be a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> You're scaring right. people now, that is scary.
1: <laughs> right, I suppose I'll wind us up then. Right, well, thank you, Tom. Thank you for nominating Night of the Demon. Say goodbye then, Tom.
0: Well, it's goodbye from me, Tom. And remember, if you ever are in the British Library, and someone accidentally knocks over a folder of your papers and hands it back to you, don't take them. Wise words indeed.
1: Say goodbye, Kenny.
2: Well, if you're ever in the British Library, make sure that you read something, if not books about death.
1: Terrific. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can find us on Twitter at Power Three Pod, you can find us on Facebook, at Power of Three, and you can find us you can find our website. <laughs> I can see the disdain dripping from both your faces. This is amazing. And check out our website, parodypod.com.
0: Is what that right? No- what an amateur! what
1: so, I know I should have had a spit. <laughs>